My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Today on Irishman in America, not only will we examine the scandal that is mass incarceration, later in the show we will look at the absurd voting rights standoff in Texas that has seen Democrats flee the state. All sorts of Senate dinosaurs showing their age. And we'll have a great book recommendation if you're looking for something juicy to dig into this August. Marion McKeown is back in the building to do what she does best. Last Friday, my wife Tina was here in her place, not to talk about US scandals, but to examine what lies ahead for the UK as Freedom Day approaches. I really do urge you to go back and listen to what she had to say. And if you've already listened to it, please pass it on. Give it a little share. We made that episode free on all platforms. Irishman in America is, of course, a members exclusive. Those of you listening on Apple Podcasts or on any other platform can pop over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad to hear the full episode, the full scandal series and all Marion's coverage of the last year in America. Gain access to our vast archive of chats with the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores. And if you're Irish abroad, you will love being a member of Irishman Abroad Podcasts and Irishman Abroad Premium. You know, Marion, I, I guess for the listeners, they're probably already aware that the US has the most incarcerated people in the world. That's kind of the, the fact that everybody knows. But uh, it just seems mad when I looked at the numbers, because that's both in sheer numbers and also per capita. As of June 2020, there's 2,121,000 people currently doing time and a total of 10 million in the prison system, which I guess includes those waiting for trial, those on parole. But that is way higher, Marion, than all these authoritarian states that the US looks down its nose at, like massive countries like China and countries with much bigger populations. It's even higher than the number incarcerated in Russia during that time when the most prison mad lad in the world existed, Joseph Stalin. But where do we begin with this scandal? I guess the first question, Marion, is why does America love locking people up so much? Sorry, George, I'm I'm laughing here at the most prison mad lad. 
title. He loved prison, Joe. <laughs> what a title. <laughs> what a genius distinction to have. To, to, for that to be your legacy. Although I suppose he had, he had worse. There were worse options. That yeah, thing, had other, we could have called him other things. <laughs> you yeah. could have called him other things that were infinitely worse. But um, yeah, you know, I think, as you said, where to begin with this one? Because... There are more. I mean, we can we can boggle the mind with all kinds of statistics. Like there was one from from a, a sociologist that concluded that America has more black people in prison than all of the prisoners in India, Argentina, England, Europe, and uh, uh, you know two billion of the world's population combined. That there are more black people alone in American prisoners than the total number of prisoners for those countries. And you can you know you, you statistics can be played with, but there is a simple statistic, which, as you said, there are about 10 million people in the American prison system. Now, the American prison system, because like everything in America, it can't be simple. They, you know, they love their bureaucracy and their complications, but there are three essential prison systems in America. There's the federal prison system where you go if you're convicted of a federal crime, which is a crime that would, would basically cross state boundaries. And it could be things like fraud. It could be murder. It could be conspiracy. There are state prisons where if you are convicted of a state crime, let's use, for example, the example of Donald Trump, who's currently being prosecuted by New York, or not being prosecuted, dear God, he's being investigated by mm. New York State. He will be prosecuted if he is prosecuted, if they find that there's reason for a prosecution and indictment by New York State. And he would then hypothetically could potentially serve, and you know there's a lot of hypotheticals there, could potentially serve time in a New York state prison. So okay. you ha then you have the local jails, which is like the, you know, the county jail in some local county in Arkansas or Kentucky or wherever, where the local sheriff will pick you up and where you could serve a sentence of up to a year in the local jail or where you might just be held for a couple of days to dry out if you were caught doing, you know, um, drunk and dry so you've got all these different systems in America and they're they're like a really uneven patchwork quilt and people can get caught in between them. So 10 million is the overall number of people who are either being locked up for a couple of days in the local lockup, who are serving short sentences in the local lockup, who are on remand awaiting trial. And there's a lot of those in America in the, the county jail or whatever are those who have been sentenced and are now sitting and will be sitting for a number of months or years in either a federal or a state prison. It's an obscene number, 10 million out of a population of 325 million. And what's more obscene is that fully 45 to 50% of those are black and black people. There are at the moment 1 million black men serving sentences in American prisons. There are only 13% of the, the population of America is black. So if, if, if you extrapolate that, or if you figure out that there are about 19 million black males in America of all ages, like from, from zero to 100. And if you figure out that of that 19 million, 1 million are currently in jail, that just shows you how high the rate is. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, these the statistics are one thing, and they show us that there's an undeniable bias and an undeniable inclination to put black people in prison at a far higher rate, about six times more than white people for equivalent crimes. So th there's undeniable racism in the American criminal justice system. But then you look at what's behind that 
And that is even more worrying. And you look at, at how it has been done, and it's not just Republicans. You know, Democrats are every bit as accountable. Well, not every bit, but certainly they bear also a significant uh, burden of responsibility for pursuing policies that disproportionately lock up black people. And this is done as because you look at the consequences of incarceration in America. If you look at the fact that most of these, the overwhelming number of black men in prison in America are aged between 18 and 34, what's that the age for, for most people in their lives? It's the age when you're going to college. It's the age when you're finishing school. It's the age when you're qualifying. It's the age when you're getting a job. It's the age when you maybe get a mortgage, when you start to make a decent salary. It's the age when you might settle down, get married and start having children. So this is also an instrument of social control and of control of black populations. If you deprive black men of all of those opportunities by having them locked up, it means that they're never going to achieve are the chances of those men achieving economic equality with white people, which is already hobbled, which is already handicapped, is going to become so much more so. Because if you get out of prison at 34, or 35 or 40 and you've spent the previous 20 years in prison, what are the chances of you getting a decent job? What are the chances of you creating the sort of, you know, wealth for yourself that people of your equivalent age who are white can do? Um, you, you know, you're, you're already starting so far behind the blocks and you're basically never going to catch up then. And if you consider that, you know, you're talking about 43% of to 45% of all people in prison are young black males, youngish black males. They're never going to get a chance to achieve social economic parity with, with white men of, the, of that age group. So you're perpetuating the economic inequality. And I think you've got to conclude that a lot of that is deliberate. If you look at the policies and if you look at how the incarceration of black men, the cynicism of it, during the Reagan era, there was a huge um, thing about spending on prisons. There were about 1,500 new prisons built all over America. And a lot of these prisons were built in rural white areas. So they created employment for rural white men who had very little education and their jobs were to keep an eye and to keep black men in prison under control. So again, you see on so many levels what was happening there that locking up black men became a way of fudging the black unemployment figures, but it also became a way of giving well-paid jobs to white men who had very little education and very few qualifications in rural areas. So you were basically killing two birds with one stone and the cynicism of that. And that was the policy that was pursued by Reagan. Clinton continued it with his prison law, or his, his 1994, which it effectively was a prison law, his criminal justice law. And then George W. Bush, and I remember this covering the George W. Bush uh, campaign, where he promised to build more prisons in rural areas as a way of employing poor white people, that he would continue the Reagan drive. And of course, a lot of this was perpetuated because, you know, back in between about the 19, the early 1900s and the 1970s, when, when Richard Nixon became president, there were not that many people in prison. And the number of black men in prison per percentage of the population, it was about 140 per 100,000 people. There were about 12 white men in prison per 100,000 people. And that number soared to 
where we are today, where it people we're talking now serving prison sentences alone, not like the incarceration that we mm-hmm. spoke about with remand mm-hmm. and local jails. But at the moment, there are about two and a half thousand black men in prison per hundred thousand of the population. There are about I'm rounding these figures that are compared to about 500 white men. So it's gone up exponentially in both areas since the 70s, but so much more so with black males. And that is because, you know, uh, Richard Nixon was the first person to introduce law and order and tough on crime. And, you know, his Southern strategy, which was all about law and order and that black men are very likely to be offenders. Basically, there was a belief that it was just in their DNA, that they were more likely to offend. And there was always this thing of you know, the myth of black men as these men who couldn't control themselves, who were likely to want to have sex with white women and that they were likely to rape them. And this was the fear and the myth. And it was all built completely on lies. But it existed like, you know, you go back to Emmett Till, that poor 14 year old child who was lynched and savagely killed because a white woman said he looked at her funny, basically. Mm. And, you know, this was where a lot of this was coming from, but it was also coming from, as I say, a, a recognition that, you know, it was tied into economic policies that if you had a large number of black men in jail, you didn't have a large number of black men on welfare or so was the belief. And it was Martin Luther King who first said, look, you won't have social justice without, you won't have without economic justice. And he was saying from the get go, put more money, put the money you're putting into prisons, into school programs, into job creation, into training, and you won't need these damn prisons. But instead, you know, white Americans, and it was largely, as I say, it was Nixon and then it was Reagan who said, no, 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 we're going to build prisons and then we'll fill them and we'll be filling them disproportionately with young black men. Because again, that is a way of ensuring that you know, white people always have stolen a march economically on black people. And it's also a way of fudging unemployment statistics. And it was it was really that cynical and that simple. So there you have it. That's your taste of the Irishman in America for this week with Marion McKeown. Come on over and hear the rest of the conversation by becoming a member at patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad and enjoy all these conversations in full, including our feature interview every Sunday and our back catalogue of nearly eight years of interviews at patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.